It's called the Patient-Centered Medical Home, and it might be the newest thing in medicine that probably is based on some of the oldest things we know about. Welcome to Primary Care Today on ReachMD. I'm your host, Dr. Brian McDonough, and with me is a very special guest, Dr. Richard Snyder. He's the CMO of Independence Blue Cross in Philadelphia, and he's kind enough to spend time with me, and he has a unique perspective. He is trained as a family physician, yet he works with an insurance company and is looking at new models in providing care for patients. And clearly, patient-centered medical home is at the center of it. And I want to start first, uh, Dr. Snyder, with how do you feel patient-centered care can improve the patient and physician satisfaction? Yeah, this part of the story starts back with the annual CAPS survey that health plans are required to do as part of their NCQA accreditation. And in those surveys, we not only ask people what their perspective is on the kind of care they receive and the kind of services they receive from the insurance company and from their providers, but also we contact or the survey company contacts people who are not happy and asks them specifically why they're not happy. And the kinds of feedback we get are it takes too long to get appointments. I spend a long time waiting in the waiting room. I spend very little time with my physician. And all of a sudden, I'm on the the street with a handful of things to do and no idea how to get it done. On the flip side, in our physician surveys, we get similar feedback. The notion that you're on a treadmill seeing patients very, very fast, uh, frequently serving as a uh, kind of a referral conduit for patients that are destined or desire to be referred to a specialist. And the the patient-centered medical home, of course, has some basic pillars that are very different. One, improving access to care through something that's nominally called the open access model of scheduling, where the appropriate number of appointments are kept open each day for the anticipated volume of inbound calls for patients wanting to be seen that day. And that's basically a math problem, tracking uh, appointment patterns over time. And then secondly, using team-based care to distribute the work in such a way that a lot of the education and decision support kind of activities and self-management skills training are taken care of by nurses that serve as care managers, while the physician can spend a little more time and see fewer patients, spend more time with those patients, coaching them and evaluating them. in, In addition to that, There is a registry that is typically required of patient-centered medical homes, particularly when they get to level three, that allows the physician and their clinical staff to manage a population, a registry being a list of all their patients with all the things that are coming due and the work getting teed up to the clinical care manager to reach out and contact the patient if they're missing their appointments for, for needed care. In the end, I think physicians feel like, one, they can see patients when the patient is sick instead of booking their their appointment book well in advance and then sending patients to the ER when they're ill, only to have them miss scheduled appointments for follow-up when they're now feeling well a week or two after having visited the emergency room. So I think, one, there are fewer missed appointments. Two, you get a sense that you're taking care of your patients when they most need you. Patients feel that same sense of, of caring uh, an interaction with their physician all lead to a more positive experience for the physician. And as, as a casual aside, I never would get invited to primary care physicians' offices for lunch in the past, and now I'm frequently invited to have them show me their results. Uh, many of them are putting graphs up showing the improvement in their performance in the office so that patients can see, and it's just a very positive experience. I think good for, for both parties. 
You know, it's interesting you mentioned that because uh, in my one of my jobs, uh, most people here know me obviously as the host of this program, but I am a program uh, director at this point and chairman of the Family Medicine Residency Program in Wilmington, Delaware at St. Francis Hospital, and we're toying with the idea, in fact, not just toying, but going forward with the idea of the patient-centered medical home for many of these reasons because really it makes sense to get people access when they need it, to provide that access, and to make them more involved in their own care. I mean, it, as I said, it's something that really is age old, but it seems like we took a long time to get to that point. Absolutely. And, and you know, given the the trend of fewer and fewer people going into primary care specialties, I think it's critically important that we engage, you know, medical students before they're committed to a specialty, expose them to this model of care, which it would be very important for you to do in your in your role as a residency director. And in fact, many people aspire to that kind of an idealism of seeing patients and caring for families and caring for people over time for the, for most of their medical needs. So in our experience, the residency programs that are a part of our program have, have developed and, and turned out probably at this point hundreds of, of residents in primary care, both pediatrics, internal medicine, and family medicine, who are now seeking uh, patient-centered medical homes in which to practice starting their own or helping hospitals who are trying to get medical homes established in their uh, hospital-owned networks. So it's, it's been a very positive experience. And, you know, just, just as a another aside, one of the benefits that I think physicians are recognizing and many of them speak to in the original 32 practices, 150 physicians caring for 220,000 patients, I'll just give you a couple of examples. The, the kind of improvement we're seeing, hemoglobin A1C greater than 9 dropping from uh, 2008, 33% to through 2012 at 18% wow. with, with a drop every year. LDL controlled at less than 100, going from 35% in 2008 to 56% in 2012, every year having a significant increase. Same with blood pressure control and same with asthma action plans and other things. So there's a series of metrics that we're monitoring, and the, and the outcomes are phenomenal. Uh, and, and what is interesting is the, the practices are learning that about 20% of their patients don't come in on, on any given year because they're basically healthy people, but they're missing appointments for preventive services or follow-up of relatively well-controlled illnesses. And by having the registry and, and, and having a care manager to reach out and engage those patients, they're getting them in and, and, and they're closing care gaps and they're improving control. And it's, it's all a very desirable outcome that makes you feel like you've, you've added value to the lives of, of your patients. If you're just tuning in, you're listening to Primary Care Today on ReachMD. I'm your host, Dr. Brian McDonough. I'm speaking with Dr. Richard Snyder, the CMO of Independence Blue Cross in Philadelphia. Philadelphia clearly is making the investment. It's happening around the country. Why do you think insurance companies like Independence Blue Cross are making such a significant investment in the medical home model? The uh, the medical home is kind of appealing because historically, and for us, we're predominantly located in an urban area, and historically, the medical cost trends for insurance companies, as recognized by those employers who are paying for the premiums, have been rising at an unsustainable rate. And as we've looked at our options of just doing more utilization management, more case management, more disease management, that's just not a very appealing solution. And as a primary care physician, I looked around the landscape in the Philadelphia area and felt that 
primary care physicians were under-reimbursed, under-appreciated, uh, undervalued by both professionals and even, even patients. And I felt we could do a lot better than that. So the the overall strategy is to try and align incentives across the whole system, but the very first and most important thing that we felt we needed to do was to strengthen primary care. And so to do that, we, we, like many other plans, have put a very significant incentive out which allows physicians to more than double their their earned income from Independence Blue Cross uh, for their services as a medical home. And they get that in part as a, as a per member per month payment that comes to them once they've achieved NCQA recognition as a medical home. And then there are additional incentives around quality and cost of care, uh, all of which we provide tools to, ma- to manage and monitor. And all of those things have, have translated into a very significant improvement, as I mentioned. And that's typical of what's going on around the country. I think for us, it's, 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 it's a mission. We're, we're today at 37% of our entire primary care workforce is working in a patient-centered medical home. That's probably higher than almost any other region in the country. And, and about 37% of our members now are getting their care in patient-centered medical homes, which is, which is good. Uh, and the trend continues, but it's slowed down a little bit. Uh, and in its place, we're seeing more development of accountable care organizations. You know, when you mentioned accountable care organizations, one of the things that can happen is that if there is going to be money dispersed, the money that's dispersed to the physicians will mean a heck of a lot more than the money dispersed to a hospital, perhaps, and that you may be able to get, I guess, more bang for your buck, for lack of a better term, in trying to control costs and leaving the the great amount of uh, funds for those who need it the most by doing that because there would be an incentive for these physicians to do whatever they could to help these patients not necessarily have to go to the hospital but be treated appropriately while at home. Right, being treated in the right at the right level of care at the right time. Uh, absolutely, and, and what we've basically done is uh, go from a model where a, where a hospital typically had an incentive uh, potential of you know one to three million dollars uh, over the course of a year, and have changed that model to if you improve quality and bend the cost curve, we'll give you up to fifty percent of the savings. And in in the hospitals that we've modeled this out, we're running ten to twenty million dollar types of incentive programs. And we require that a third to a half of that be distributed to physicians. The impact of that is very, very significant. For for a physician or one of 250 or 500 physicians that are part of that program in an institution, sharing $5 million is a big deal. To the hospital, it may be a small part of their $400 million uh, revenue stream from, from our organization. So in other words, you tell the hospital, for instance, as you negotiate, yeah, they may be employed physicians working for you, but as part of their pay, they will share in this and that you make that part of the contract? That's right. It, and not only employed physicians, what we what we basically do is take the physicians attributed to and assigned to uh, the primary care physicians that are affiliated with a hospital, and we take the total medical costs for those patients over the past couple of years, trend it forward, get a projected target, and if they come in under that target, for cost of care, and they improve quality. They have to do both, but the quality is easily achievable. They will get to participate in that up to 50%, depending on the level of quality improvement. And the contract is 
absolutely requ it's required that they have to spend they have to provide or distribute at least a third and up to half of the dollars to the physicians that are part of that arrangement and they they can be both employed and independent and that's in a contract the organization obviously that distributes the money is not the hospital it has to be a pho or some other legal entity that's eligible to distribute uh, shared savings and the physicians have to have governance in that organization and the contract does specify explicitly that the physicians have to partake in the uh, shared savings. And those hospitals, I would assume, that aren't going that direction, they're probably going to be left in the dust eventually because I would think this is something that's it's a wave of the future and also something that I think a lot of, uh, with, with the emergence of good EMRs and ways to track things and monitor, it, it, it's the first time it really can be done effectively. That's right. Eighty-five percent of our hospitals are, are, have those kind of contracts now, and we're, we're bringing along technology to aggregate payer data and hospital data and electronic medical record data from physician offices and present it back in a single layer where the physician can see how they're doing compared to their peers, how they're doing compared to other regional organizations, and, and how they're comparing to national uh, performance, both on quality and on cost of care. And it's 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 very very intuitive and very insightful. It provides a lot of uh, insights right at the point of care, so you can make decisions about where you're referring care and and so forth. Dr. Snyder, we're, we only have about less than a minute to go. I wanted to ask you: Is there something I didn't bring up that you thought was important to bring up as we finish up this topic? Well. Um, what I would say about the patient-centered medical home as a concept is it's a much more rewarding and fulfilling way to practice primary care medicine than and perhaps traditional uh, practice of primary care medicine. But in order, to, I think, for our company and for the country to benefit maximally from strengthening primary care, you need to align the incentives across specialty care and hospital care as well. That's a good point. I think my own bias as well as we start to get the patient portal and we start to provide information to patients, get them fully engaged so they are as educated as they possibly can be. You know, I've always said that patients are their own best provider because they have the most uh, to lose if they don't do it right, and we just try to help them along. So, Dr. Snyder, I want to thank you for joining us. Uh, you brought not only a business perspective, but you have a great understanding of the caring medical side of it, and I appreciate your taking your time. Thank you. I'm Dr. Brian McDonough. You've been listening to Primary Care Today on ReachMD. Until next time, I want you to stay healthy. And remember this, please make sure that if you missed any or part of this discussion, you should visit ReachMD.com slash today to download the podcast and learn more on this series. We're building up a nice library of shows. I'd like you to hear them and obviously get back to us and let us know what you think. Until next time, take care.